Welcome to Fluctuating Tides, the podcast, episode eight. I'm your host, some coding guy, and let's get right to it. This week, I'm going to be covering Broadcom Incorporated, ticker AVGO, a heavyweight in the semiconductor and chip fab industry, currently with a market cap of about $200 billion. Broadcom has been making chips for a long time and is well diversified across a variety of customer sectors, but let's start off by talking about how we can check how well they manage their business. For this week's knowledge segment, I'd like to talk about operational expenses and one of the ways that we can keep an eye on management's effectiveness. There's a lot of different investor metrics available to get a handle on how management is handling their business, in particular looking at how money invested or reinvested from past operations is being used. While more broadly, we could look at the ratios such as return on invested capital, return on equity, or even ROI, but this week I want to focus on expenses as they relate to their previous comments. Granted, during a given year, businesses can change quite a lot, and any large inflows or significant changes in the marketplace would cause any of these measures to fluctuate in the short run beyond their immediate control. But one way that I like to look at companies is to compare what management said expenses were going to look like versus what actually happened to get a rough idea of how well they understand and can operate their businesses. With this in mind, let's take a closer look at the OPEX charges that I usually track in the spreadsheets that accompany these episodes. On the income statement, you will typically see three lines relating to operational expenses, or OPEX, technology, also known as research and development on some balance sheets, sales and marketing, and general and administrative, or GNA. Depending on the business line of the company under analysis, some of these lines may or may not make any sense, so the company may drop some of these or relabel tech as research and development, or combine sales and marketing with general and administrative, and call it collectively SG&A, so there's some art to finding the expenses that you may be interested in. To figure out any of these operational expenses as a ratio, all we need to do is calculate what share the given expense is out of the revenue for that same period. So if we wanted to know tech as a percentage of revenue in a given quarter, we would take the OPEX tech line and divide it by the revenue for that same quarter. To take an example, in the most recent quarter, Broadcom spent about $1.2 billion on research and development, while earning about $6.8 billion in revenue over the same period. So tech works out to being about 18% of expenses. SG&A, which they report all together in one line, came in at about $350 million, so using the same revenue figure, SG&A represents about 5% of expenses in that quarter. Now while we can compare these expense ratios across different companies in the same line of business, one of the more interesting comparisons I like to make is how do these expenses relate to previous quarters, and specifically against what management said they were going to do with those expenses. In the case of Broadcom specifically, management said they were going to try to keep R&D expenses flat over the year. And looking over the previous quarters, it's almost boring how much that number absolutely doesn't change from quarter to quarter. And in this case, boring is a very good thing. Expenses stayed flat at about 18% for the previous 12 months, and they're down a little bit from before that. So management is doing a really good job at sticking to what they said they were going to do. As I mentioned briefly, short-term fluctuations in a given quarter could easily make this a very difficult task, and revenue over the same period was steadily rising, with some lumpiness baked in. So sticking to a solid number on this line is actually quite a feat. Incidentally, sales and the general staff needed to run the company has held steady over the previous 12 months, and it's also down a little bit from the quarters before that, which usually indicates that the product is well-known and may not require a lot of spend to promote. I'm not going to read too much into this, given that the pandemic caused a large drop in sales and marketing expenses for everybody. But for this education segment, I thought it would be useful to break out all of these numbers in the spreadsheet that I included in the show notes. 
Micromeasures of management effectiveness aside, several things brought my attention to Broadcom for this week's show. The well-publicized chip shortages and the increased demand conversations among some of my engineer friends brought my interest to the semiconductor industry in general. Unfortunately, Wall Street had already priced in very large stock prices against earnings for most companies that are in this sector. So I did some more analysis before settling in on Broadcom as an interesting play. Compared to the previous episodes, Broadcom is quite a lot larger than most of the stocks in the Tidal River portfolio, coming in with a $200 billion market cap. And growth at that scale can be quite a bit more difficult than growth for smaller companies, with the advantage that these businesses tend to be more mature and well-known, and they tend to follow more predictable growth trajectories, even if the particular industry is a little bit cyclical in its buying patterns. Broadcom, however, derives its revenue from a small number of very large customers, spread across a lot of different industries, including exposure to large-scale cloud providers, fiber and telecom industrials, handset and smartphone providers, with Apple being a particularly large customer, as well as handling ASIC and custom chip design on behalf of a number of their larger clients. Broadcom's primary fabrication facilities are located in Malaysia, with their R&D staff being spread out across the world, and of concern in their most recent earnings call was their exposure to COVID at their Malaysian fabrication facility. Management replied that 99% of their staff had already been vaccinated and that they had a particular focus on health safety controls to make sure that their plants could remain operational during these difficult times, so it looks like it's a non-event for the company. Three of their largest broadband customers, namely AT&T, British Telecom, and Deutsche Telekom, have all begun large-scale deployment of fiber to homes, and given previous relationships and ordering patterns, management believes that there will continue to be healthy orders for many years to come, above and beyond the short-term crunch in semiconductor supplies. They're embracing the wave of new Wi-Fi 6 standards that are being deployed, being a very large Wi-Fi chipset provider, and they pointed out healthy growth in both their software services sector, in addition to their custom ASICs and chips for large-scale cloud customers, being involved both in fabricating TPUs for Google, as well as custom circuits for Amazon's AWS, even if Amazon is building more of that capability in-house these days. That type of expertise is hard to come by, and as more of the industry moves toward power sensitivity and custom silicon, Broadcom appears to be one of the market leaders in being able to provide these services. Broadcom also has an 11-year history of dividend increases, with management continuing to guide to a 50% payout ratio against free cash flow, which is a metric that we'll cover in future shows, and appears to have no trouble covering both the steady state or providing for future increases given their current business pipeline. As of today, the dividend is holding at just under 3%, providing a nice side benefit to investors, with plenty of room for the company to reduce payouts under emergency circumstances if cash got tight. Not that cash appears to be tight, with $11 billion on the balance sheet, and most of the debt set for long-term low interest rates, with plenty of evidence of competence with refinancing activities. They did mention a continued appetite for the mergers and acquisition space, and have been careful about inventories, in particular holding off bulk wholesale purchasers that may be overstepping their inventories after the shortages from earlier in the year, to ensure that the inventory is flowing through to the customers as needed showing a healthy conservative tilt and quite a difference from the other players in the sector. Given all this, Tidal River is going to take a position in Broadcom this week. As usual, I've included the numbers from previous 10Q and 10K reports and the math I discussed earlier in the spreadsheet attached in the show notes. If you like this podcast and want to see more content like this get created, feel free to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or buy a photo from TidalRiverInvestments.com. Money earned on the photos gets deposited in the investment account. 
As always, Tidal River Investments and I are not financial advisors, market analysts, or otherwise in any way offering advice for or against any of the securities discussed. Meet with your financial advisor for that information. Stocks and funds may not be good investments for you depending on your financial situation. We're here for learning, not advice, and I wish you the best on your financial journey. And remember, tides fluctuate.